listening, Particles, and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you, and that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening. I'd love to start connecting with you, my listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts about this episode or any of the episodes, watch for posts for each of them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I can imagine the energy of connecting over these inspiring people's stories. I mean, maybe, just maybe, you have the same passion, or maybe you've been wanting to talk to someone with this thing going on. Yes, we need to talk. Come find me. In this episode, I'm sharing the story of Jo Standing. Our format is a little different because we talk more about the work she's doing right now than her journey to find it. We talk about the soldiers who go to war on behalf of our country and return, sometimes struggling to shed the trauma and find their way back to civilian life. As the daughter of a former Marine and a long history of family in the military, I'm honored to do what I can to help. Whether you believe in the war itself is irrelevant. These men and women are risking their lives for us. It seemed the perfect time to share Joe's story as we remember our troops this Memorial Weekend. We'll get to hear her story now and hear how we can individually help veterans struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. I think you'll find that Joe is working hard every day to improve the lives of the military who are going through this big T trauma, as she refers to it. And I think she's got... Boy, she's got the energy and the motivation to do it. So with that, here's Joe. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the show. Thanks. How are you today? I am great. We're actually having some really um, warm weather finally. I won't even say it's unseasonably warm because it's actually supposed to be warm and it's been really cold. So I'm kind of excited about that. How about you? How's it going there? It's the exact opposite. So it was like 100 degrees when I got in my car yesterday um, and then today I walk out in my summer dress and it's 50 degrees this morning. Oh my gosh. So I'm, I'm literally going, Oh man, my whole body's just looking for, um, some regularity <laughs> here in the weather. <laughs> I guess that's a, that's a big shift from one day to the next. My gosh. <laughs> so we should tell people, I think we have one of the most fun stories so far of how we met, which is, um, I was traveling and I was, um, I had gotten like a not so great Airbnb situation that happened. And that'll teach me that when I'm driving down the road and I pull over to quick look for an Airbnb, I should look at all the pictures. That's the lesson I learned there. And it wasn't that they were that they were a bad they were bad people or anything like that. It was just one of those places that didn't feel totally safe as a woman traveling alone. So um I 
I graciously exited out of that and paid the, uh, you know, half the rental fee to do so. Mm-hmm. And then went to a, a subway, a really swanky subway and started looking for a different place. And I ran across yours and it turned out to be so perfect. Um, it Yay. was in a town you used to live in, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, and- yes. I'm so glad you found me. You were actually the first person who ever stayed at that B&B. Oh, are you serious? Oh my gosh. Yes. Wow. And mm-hmm. it was awesome. And I- yeah. And it was when I was first starting my efforts with the online uh, resilience support community mm-hmm. that I still have today. And so it was like, it was such an omen and a blessing to have someone who is so grounded. That's how I experienced you. It's so grounded and so one foot in both worlds, one mm-hmm. foot in being on a path and like one foot in doing the day to day and keeping mm-hmm. it simple and real. So um, I was just going, oh my gosh, this is amazing because <laughs> it was the beginning of my adventure of how do I um, really personify my new purpose mm-hmm. in life? Um, so ha- so basically Airbnb um, was, and I think for a lot of entrepreneurs is a great solution um, and was a great solution for me because it allowed me to um, get on the road mm-hmm. and go to any surrounding state and do my uh, my meetings with the new people that um, that I was and actually still I am collaborating with for for my business. I literally I, I love it. So I mean, for me, like Airbnb is just like a signature adventure and. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people get scared about it, but actually it's like, you can choose who you want to stay and who you don't want to stay. Just well, like exactly, you chose. Right. And I actually <laughs> love it. And I've, I've used it numbers of times and I find it, you know, that was, that was my first ever experience that didn't feel right. And again, it was more that it was just not quite the right fit for me traveling alone, but every other experience I've had has been really stellar compared to hotel travel or things like that. And your place, oh my gosh, it was like this little haven because I was I had a couple days of editing to do and it was so comfortable and zen and beautiful it was just it was really great I'm so glad I got to find that I found it it was like a a blessing for sure thank you thank you yeah that space I'm really proud of I mean I took a lot of effort to make it like eco chic so Mm. a lot of like restore um stuff and then a lot of like antiques from yeah, my family, beautiful. yeah, it's and stuff beautiful. from my journeys, from you know my adulthood uh, around the world. So, um, so yeah, you'll have to have me back sometime, just as a as a guest. I know I'll have to come hang I think out. You can see the rooms you didn't get to see that I, <laughs> I don't keep open to the public. <laughs> well, I think the best part was I'm still like hands down the most comfortable bed and pillows I've ever slept on, and and that's saying a lot because I've been around a while, and. Um, since then, I've, I've actually purchased the pillows that you had, and they're, I just love them. They're so good. Yeah. I need to yeah. find out who that company. I need to tell, um, give that company a chance to do some ads on the show because they're so awesome. <laughs> that so is awesome. Let's tell people a little bit about what it is that you're doing now, what your work is. Oh, thank you. Um, so basically, for many years, um, which translates to a moderate amount of years, um, for me, uh, you know, I'm 33. I've been in the health and wellness sector since I was 21. And, um, and right away, even though 
I had simpler titles like Pilates teacher and, uh, and then meditation teacher and then yoga teacher. Um, and then, you know, then a professional coach, even though I did these trainings, um, that a lot of people might've just, um, kind of gotten into that box. Mm -hmm. I always knew from the beginning that, um, that I, my desire is to be of support to those who are going through major life transition. Mm -hmm. So, um, lately I've locked that down to, um, specify war survivors. So, um, it's a huge topic, uh, mm -hmm. obviously. And the reason why I feel adept to, to do that is because, I am the daughter of um, a war veteran. Um, I uh, fell in love with someone who um, uh, was and still is in the military, and my eyes were open to the impact um, that war has not only on the individual who is deployed mm -hmm. yet the whole family as a unit and that mm -hmm. uncertainty and unknowing and that you learn to live with out of love itself because of the people you love who go off and deploy, you learn to live with that, all the uncertainty mm -hmm. and the kind of the fear. Um, and it's a beautiful thing because again, the way people learn to do that essentially is out of love. And yet oftentimes we need tools to be able to navigate um, the particulars of the impact of um, our lifestyle. And in this case, the lifestyle of um, absences and um, oftentimes the sense of abandonment that can occur. Mm -hmm. um, and also for the, uh, the PTSD, which, um, you know, also has a flip side, which is PTG. So that's really what I focus on um, mostly is learning how to convert and then conveying these ways that I myself have converted big T trauma. So big T trauma is the clinical um, perspective saying something like rape, war, natural disaster, mm -hmm. um, car crash. So, and the interesting thing, Jane, is that most people, statistics show us that most people have an enhanced likelihood of becoming um, prone to PTSD if the factor of um, intention is there. So if one knows that they were harmed intentionally, then the likelihood of PTSD is escalated. Hmm. So with war, obviously we all uh, the there's we're all aware and cognizant that it's a mutual intention to harm. Right. So that's why no matter what side of the border you're on, there's going to be that inherent um, trauma and then the after effects or aftermath of trauma, which is what clinicians have called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And then uh, that was developed in 1980s. Then in the 1990s, PTG um, was developed by clinicians and put into uh, the manual, the DSM um, technical manual, where you have all the full listings of all the different uh, mind ailments that human beings have known um, in history. And what is PTG? Post-traumatic growth okay. syndrome. So a lot of people have uncovered these strengths 
or these gifts that they never knew existed before the experience of big T trauma. And again, Mm. whether that is uh, rape, war, war in the circumstance is uh, who I'm focusing on again, because how my eyes, my heart Mm -hmm. and soul were opened to the enormity of the impact that that has. I, it's always, we're always aware. Yes. That we have service people off overseas, Mm -hmm. um, in our country's name. And yet until we have a relationship with one of those service people personally, and we are on the tail end of having, feeling like the bottom kind of drops out when you learn that that individual who you love is leaving in 72 hours. And oftentimes the loved ones are not able to be in the know mm-hmm. about where their, where their loved one who is being deployed is, is going. That would so, be so incredibly stressful. Yeah. Have, I mean, as much as you like, uh, my son, my older son always wanted to be in the military. He didn't end up going in the military, but it was always a dream of his. And I remember thinking that's going to be the hardest part as much as I want to support him. Cause my dad was a Marine and, you know, we have a lot of, you know, support of the military in our family. But even though I supported him and wanted him to do what he loves, no matter what that is, um, the idea of the unknowing, like that he was there and there's like, I would not know. I would, I would have no check-in, you know, possibly. So scary. So you, so you experienced being the daughter of a Marine and right. the Marine was your dad, not your yes. mom, but your dad in mm-hmm. this case. Um, he was never deployed though. He was actually out of the Marines both by the time I was born. So I didn't live it, you know, but we just have, you know, a a strong belief in the military and support of it. Right. Because even if, um, one is super progressive and Mm -hmm. just thinks that anyone who goes to war, um, fights the wars, uh, in support of, whatever the government's um, agenda is, anyone who is progressive and, and thinks that that is um, some sort of evil, um, I think we're failing to see that these are still people. They're still going over there, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And they still come home and need the backbone that community provides. And what I hear most often from veterans is that when they come back, nobody wants to hear their story. Ah. Nobody wants to hear about any of their experiences. Right. So then right. you've got this bottled up experience that has no outlet. And that creates the amazing frustration, rage. Um, and that's another statistic is another uh, increasing factor of people who are more likely to get PTSD, Jane, Mm -hmm. is those who just don't have people who are willing to listen, Mm -hmm. to learn. Um, So, you know, maybe they have a very loving family outside of that, but Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, their family members have a boundary where they just don't want to know. Or maybe it's that the individual coming back from war places um, a boundary on themselves where they're choosing to stay silent and not because they're fearful that they're going to negatively impact the ones they love. And yet that very choice 
is going to aggravate the symptoms and prolong the symptoms and create more dysfunction within the family unit and the friend unit and the community unit as a whole. Do you think, okay, this is, this is the question that just popped in my head. Do they have to tell their story to a family member or could, could they feel the relief of telling their story by telling it to somebody, somebody else? And I don't even mean it has to be someone in the healthcare industry, but just somebody who would be willing to witness their words. Exactly. Um, I think anybody who we feel as human beings genuinely, authentically connected with Mm -hmm. that we feel safe with and secure with Mm -hmm. is going to, is going to fit the, the necessary Mm -hmm. um, outlet role. I didn't realize that that's and information. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people. That's a super interesting and fascinating discovery too. just to to go back and rewind a little bit just to honor what you're experiencing. Because I can feel that I can feel that you actually like that's a moment of um, discovery Mm -hmm. as you're listening to that. So that's very cool. Um, I think moving forward, what's also interesting is that in general, talking about PTSD, what has been discovered, and now we have psychologists, uh, resilience coaches like I am, health professionals, wellness professionals of various titles. Um, We have just a real um, varying of opinions on any topic. That's just how it goes. Mm -hmm. However, some people in the upper echelons of mind development, like the psychiatrists and psychologists and clinicians that write the book, the DSM book, Mm -hmm. some of those people do believe that the necessity to come back and talk about whatever your big T trauma was, whether it was rape, war, um, or something else, um, in this case, war, to come back and talk about it right away actually inflicts more unnecessary suffering Mm -hmm. and can jostle someone um, and further stimulate the negative impact than if that person were to wait about um, approximately 15 months Hmm. um, and wait a little bit to process within oneself. Now that said, there's a lot we can do to process within ourself, Mm -hmm. even if we're waiting to put into words the enormous impact that our experiences have had on us. You know, I, read, of, I heard this, mm-hmm. I heard this um, study not too long ago about the Boston bombing. And they said that they, they did it. They did a research study and found that when they compared the PTSD impact on those who were at the actual bombing compared to people who watched like eight hours of ongoing reports of the bombing, Mm -hmm. the people who watched it had higher markers of PTSD than actually those who were in it. There you go. And it had a lot to do with they were basically reliving it over and over and over and over and over again, whereas Mm -hmm. the people in it relived it, they lived it once, you know, and if they separated themselves from the news, they lived it once. And that, I wonder, like, how that plays into what you're talking about with war veterans is it right. that, do they have to like isolate themselves from seeing more of that to to manage the PTSD? 
I say isolate is a word that um, I want to stay away from in this reference because Mm -hmm. that's a tendency within big T trauma survivors anyway, especially rape and war. Funny how I knew that word. Right, you do. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Well, you know, I mean, we as people, when there's shame in play, we isolate. And it's a normal thing as much as it is something that we can also shift through being aware of our tendency and um, challenging ourselves in a loving way, like a mother might challenge, a mother duckling might challenge a little, you know, a little duckling on its way. We have to learn how to self-care and speak to ourselves in ways that promote resilience Mm -hmm. and yet allow us to be where we are. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. So I think I mean, isolate was for sure the wrong word, but I meant more of I have this um, practice of not consuming information that I feel is very negative, you know, on a regular basis. So I don't watch the news. I don't watch super gross, scary movies and things like that because I just don't want to bring that energy into my being. Right. And so I meant more that I wonder if they – if it's best for them when they come back to watch less of the news and things like that. I like that. the question. I think, I think it's chosen environment. Mm-hmm. So even if we want to have socialize and go out and we fear that we might uh, be triggered by something on the TV, because let's face it, mm-hmm. we go out um, to eat dinner. A lot of these places in public all have a TV. Oh, that drives um, me a crazy. Huge TV. It drives and me nuts. Yeah. Uh, it does for me too. And yet a lot of Americans think that that's our only option. Whereas there's so many um, alternatives, healthy alternatives where we can still socialize and have a great time, like being out at the park. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why people, um, vets, uh, especially with dogs, mm-hmm. accelerate healing a lot faster, uh, both rape and war survivors. And I'll say that again, because in tying into what you're saying, rape and war survivors um, are both big T trauma survivors. The event, original event is different. Mm-hmm. The reaction or the consequence within the mind body self is a replica. We have hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. We have anxiety. We have depression. We have a dysfunction in our eating. We have a dysfunction in our sleeping. So our regular, that what we before perceived as um, a God-given right to have the normal appetite and the, mm-hmm. the ability to go to sleep when you're tired. all Your whole body systems are just become funky. Hmm. And, um, and the solution is to get the nervous system to calm down out of the fight or flight through methods that uh, stimulate the original event within the mind less and less. Hmm. So if we're around environments, like we automatically we come back and we're trying to distract ourselves and we're not in this phase. So um, we are veterans now for a moment in our mm-hmm. imaginations and we come back and we're just, we're in that phase. We're talking about it would be altogether too traumatic and re-triggering just like uh, watching the bombings over and over mm-hmm. because essentially the brain, the neural networks in our brain, they think that every time we recall something that it's happening again. And that's right, why it's right. really important to put stuff to rest. Um, if you're, if you, you're whoever the perpetrator is, if it was another uh, war uh, soldier or, uh, or someone on the opposite 
from the opposite nation who was on the forefront and they, God bless and rest their soul. Um, they killed your friend and you're that veteran and you're watching that. If you remember that and bless the people who are listening. Mm-hmm. And if it's at all triggering, I just want to do exactly one of the core functions of the body that we lose is just to take that deep belly breath. Mm -hmm. So pausing a moment together to invite a normalization or a neutralization of the nervous system by inhaling and putting your hand on your belly at your navel and allowing your belly to expand getting your breath out of your chest. Mm -hmm. So when the breath is in the chest, we trigger our fight or flight and that triggers our adrenals. And then this is this heightened state of sensitivity that our service people need to be in when they're in combat. Right. For sure. Problem is, So it's healthy in that situation. The problem is, is that when you come back uh, and you need to return to um, training in your hometown and right. being with your friends and saying hello to your neighbor. We need to learn how to be human again. And I think the big part is to trust ourselves in order to feel that humanness again and that calmness again. And the only way that we can do that is if we can afford ourselves these simple things that help to adjust the inner workings of our body because when we use our body as a tool to calm ourselves, our brains and our minds literally have an automatic effect in a positive way, an imprint. There's uh, an interrupter in that moment. And then we have this window where our mind is able possibly to think a thought that supports Mm -hmm. shifting out of the triggered mindset, such as um, I like to inhale and simply say, I am, and then exhale here. Mm -hmm. And I don't say it out loud. Right, right. Um, Or if I'm alone, I might say it out loud. If I'm in public and if I'm ever now, I now, I mean, there's no hierarchy in healing. And so when I say that I haven't experienced um, those big triggers in a long time, that's not a bragging, braggadacious thing. That's right, not no, a, like, that's a, like, like that's just the way it is. That That's not a yeah, it, it's, it's actually a collective victory because my victory is your victory. Your victory is my victory as a trauma survivor, a big T trauma survivor. Um, after I experienced and trigger warning here, mm-hmm. after I experienced my kidnap and rape when I was a teenager, I didn't trust my body. I didn't want a body. I wanted to leave the body. I didn't want anything to do with it. It didn't feel like mine anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing when we experience big T trauma, a lot of scientific reports and also more um, esoteric and spiritual, but a lot of reports show no matter what label esoteric or scientific that we put on it, this is the recollection of a survivor and survivors streamline have the same comment. It's like they were watching themselves. They're outside mm-hmm. of their bodies right? and we or they, we are experiencing ourselves from the outside because literally we abandon 
ourselves. And that is mm-hmm. what the war survivor does. That is mm. what the rape survivor does. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew that about um, the rape survivor that I was aware of, but I wasn't aware of that's what happens for the war survivors because in a way, you know, I imag- I always envisioned them having to be so in control of their body that it would be hard for them not to be in it. So what you're saying... During combat, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that they're in high, high performance mode. They're good. It's uh-huh. when we're not in combat anymore mm-hmm. and we come home, we were incarnating um, a soldier or Marine mm-hmm. um, right now, just hypothetically, um, because of the research we've done. Um, and, you know, we're likening ourselves to this because it's easy to imagine not being able to let your guard down. Mm-hmm. So as a collective society, we need to be able to acknowledge that that any irregularity that we might notice within someone who's come home is completely on the flip side normal. Mm-hmm. And we need to, as a society, I think, instead of asking these service people to adjust to our norm, we need to meet them in the middle and we mm-hmm. need to accommodate and adjust to them equally as much. You know, I have such a huge respect for the work that they do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't love the idea, obviously, of war, of people hurting people. I don't love the idea of conflict at all. You know, I would love everybody to get along. That's sort of the whole premise of this show is showing people how we're, we're all, this, you know, trying to do good things and the same and we're trying to live happy, purposeful lives in whatever way we choose. And all these things, you know, war and that really does not work in that scenario. But I totally respect the work that our servicemen and women and and people around the world are doing. So um, I love the idea that you are finding ways, though, to help them feel that this is normal, to make them realize this is normal. Because I think that's, in my limited experience, with, with service people coming back, which is really limited, there was this sense that, like, I'm not normal anymore, you know? But giving them the belief and hope that they can feel what feels normal to them again is a huge thing. Huge. And again, uh, well, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And again, the onus we want to place equally on ourselves mm-hmm. to learn more and adapt more and meet in the middle um, as as we do get to come in contact with, with more and more veterans along our um, just day-to-day lives, because we do. We, we just ha- are almost sort of um, blind or maybe a little numb to, um, to that fact. And I think there's a collective um, traumatization that happens mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. civilians when we see something on the news and then we see a service person and whether conscious or subconscious, which 98% of our conscious mind runs off of our subconscious. So most likely in our subconscious mind, we may become, and I know a lot of people do, triggered um, when we see a service person. And we there's almost that, that um, reciprocation of n- numbing out, mm-hmm. feeling really numb. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that numbness um, is, again, I mean, it can be a protection mode, a really normal thing for a big T trauma survivor when coming home, needing to not talk about it, needing not to engage in all those details. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet I think the best question that civilians can ask 
um, a service person is, how are you today? And bringing that individual back to the todayness, the nowness, mm-hmm. the present moment, so that we can activate the mind body system to show up. And if there has been an, almost an evacuation of the self from the, you know, the physical part of ourselves mm-hmm. that brings us home again. How are you today? Right. Um, also, some uncomfortable conversations need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be courageous enough to ask um, how we can improve upon the experience of the big T trauma survivors in our lives. We need to be thoughtful enough to be uncomfortable for a moment and say, what is it that you need me to do mm-hmm. or not do refrain from doing or do in order for you to just like feel comfortable. And it's so really out of the blue and uncommon for people to have conscious conversations where you're actually asking someone to pull up a conscious desire of how they do want to experience the world. Because we so oftentimes forget that that's an option. It's mm-hmm. on the table. Well, even as you've been talking about this, and, and I, I in no way mean to minimize the impact of the big T trauma, but even in everyday living, it's it's funny that you talk about it today. Um, my life is a little crazy. It's not anything like what, what these traumas, so I'm not in any way um, saying that. But I was actually today, this morning, reminding myself to bring myself back to present because my mind is spinning you know, and so I was doing the dishes and my mind was running to these other places. I'm like, okay, I just, I just started thinking, I'm doing dishes, I'm doing dishes, I'm doing dishes, so that I'd stay focused on That's what great. I was doing. And that kind of, um, in everyday life, there are ways that we can practice those things so we're even more supportive of people who are going through something like they are. If we That's the only way to do it. Yeah. I agree, Jane. That's the only way to do it is everyday life. I mean, that really, at the end of the day, when uh, war is all said and done, that's what we have is everyday life. So right. that's why we need to relearn. And, you know, PTSD is said by some clinicians to be a contagious, and I don't like this word, but a contagious disease. Hmm. So your dad, you may not have been uh, alive when he deployed, but if he ever did, and if he had issues he was holding on to, hmm. like my uh, war veteran father did, mm-hmm. then it's this um, this constant kind of, unsafeness that we can feel as kids knowing that we need to watch our tracks. We need to walk Mm -hmm. on eggshells. Um, And it's almost this kind of loss of innocence, innocence, not in a black and white way, but innocence of the innocent part of ourselves wants to explore. Mm -hmm. The innocent part of ourselves wants to discover ourselves in new ways. The innocent part of ourselves believes that it's possible to live a day that is different from the last day. So that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. And that is really poignant. What you're saying is bringing ourselves back to the everyday in a way that is present and concerted effort mm-hmm. and joyful. I mean, making simple things like dishes fun. Mm-hmm. Um, cleaning has become something that I love to <laughs> do because it feels like I'm able to commune with the present moment while Mm -hmm. not doing seven things at once. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm on my computer, for instance, um, you know, we have oftentimes, you know, I do, I don't know about you, seven different windows open on my laptop. And I'm thinking now I get back to this person and that person and this person, and I'm planning my class for the night and, and et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, may I, I want to say one other thing too. Um, if you want to discover um, a really great way to bring the whole self back to present time, I did with Join the Unbound. So I have my online uh, resilience support community mm-hmm. for our service members, and it's called jointheunbound.com. Mm-hmm. So with jointheunbound.com, there is a video that people receive when they sign up, when you opt in. So let's say you opt in just for a trial month. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super easy. It's like the cost of a burger and you don't have to commit to anything in the future. Okay. Um, and so let's say you do that. You get this woman. She's an internationally known um, energy uh medicine teacher and facilitator and group leader. Her name is Anne Steffen. And I've actually um, been working with her in group and one-on-one for 11 years. Um, She's been a part of my journey. It's interesting. I've had lots of people who um, have acted as guides Mm -hmm. and act as guides to me, whether they're working with me, like you and I are working together right now mm-hmm. to create something really uh, a beautiful experience for everyone, you know, you, the people who are, are listening. And, um, and that said, um, it's really important to just, you know, constantly feed our minds right. with new approaches because everyone says something a different way. Um, and sometimes we just click with, uh, something that's said and we all of a sudden, before we know it, we have a new tool in our toolbox to help to ground and clear and balance and maximize our full potential so that it, as trauma survivors, we're not begrudging having survived, but celebrating the fact that we are a part of this journey where so much is possible and so much can happen and shift within our lives day to day. I'm even surprised how many tools I keep picking up. I thought by now I'd have it all figured out, but that has not been the case. It seems like I'm constantly adding new tools to the tool belt for, you know, being part of the the life that I really want to have. You know what I mean? Like for creating that around me. That's how it goes. Absolutely. I love the saying, um, you know, the more we learn, the less we know. (laughs) I know. That's totally true. I was wondering how you ended up. um, Did you always know you wanted to be in the health care or health services industry from when you were young? Is this something that was always within you? Well, it's so interesting. Um, It's always been a part of who I am. Um, so I would always have the honor of when, and I'm, I'm completely serious here. Um, I'd be 12 years old. Um, why? So there's a couple of different, um, things that come up for me. And one of them is the 12 year old me and going into all throughout my teenage years and, uh, and then, you know, into my twenties, but, I'd always love to um, do a walk and talk. And I know that my, my not-for-profit, we're doing a walk and talk. Um, right, We're thinking either the beginning of 2018 or the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, let's just scratch the whole run marathon thing. And let's do a walk <laughs> and talk. <laughs> right. Why make it so hard? 
<laughs> right. So, so, um, and, and, uh, just make it joyful and, and make it, you know, you know, how about making it joyful? How about making it fun? How about making it connected? Um, and, and having a new experience where we can learn from one another. And to me, when we're walking, our brain is literally getting a workout at the same time. Our left brain, right. uh, gets activated every time we bring, our right foot forward and vice versa. Um, so we're literally, we're getting a brain jog and a, a physical rejuvenation, the blood going. So, you know, the quickest way to calm um, anxiety and to alleviate depression is to walk and talk. So I've been doing that since, you know, 12 years old through the years. And I mean, I would always ask them, I'd always be, oh, you know, I'd opt out of sports in school and I'd ask my, mm -hmm. um, someone in my gym class, will you walk around the track with me today? So we'd walk about mm -hmm. 25 or more times around that huge football track, just talking and walking and shedding so many realizations. You wouldn't think that a 12 year old would have any realizations, but I can remember uh -huh. having a lot of aha moments from the time that I was, you know, 12 years old, um, you know, going upward. So there's that. So I think it is just, I think for us as human beings, it's about doing what you do and what, what everyone who really feels connected to their day to day, it's because we're choosing to maximize on what mm -hmm. comes natural to us. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the only other thing that comes to mind for me is being a very small kid and hearing these stories about my behavior when um, when I was older from, you know, uh, from my parents. And I would hear that um, that whenever I would meet someone, I'd kind of step back and I'd listen to them very closely and I'd watch them and observe them and want to kind of know everything about them. And then hmm. and then I'd break that and I'd run up to them and say, <laughs> can I hug you? Or sometimes I wouldn't ask and I would hug them and squeeze them <laughs> and they'd say, oh, my gosh. Uh, the, you know, my nickname was JJ. JJ has such a strong grip for such a little girl. <laughs> so it was like, you know, I kind of want to know, I want to know like what's going on. And then like, um, let's find a way to beyond it all through it all, uh -huh. um, have an appreciation for everyone because, you know, I don't think we can genuinely love everybody. Um, I mean, if you're the Dalai Lama, sure. Mm -hmm. um, if you've gotten to meditate, uh, you know, half the day since you were four years old, like the Dalai Lama does, that's great. Um, if you're a civilian and you don't have time to meditate all day long and live in your higher chakras um, mm -hmm. or your crown chakra all the time, so your energy centers at the top of your body, um, and you have to come down sometimes right. uh, on the daily, um, I think what's more genuine for me, what I've found in my life, and I'd love to know what you think, mm -hmm. um, is that, you know, we can't genuinely like love everyone, but we can be kind to everyone. We can have a kind word. Mm -hmm. um, we all slip from time to time, you know, road rage or having a, a, a day where you're just really frustrated, whatever happens, um, we can always turn that around on its head. Uh, you know, and just say, you know, like, thank you. Uh, apologize if I sounded a little rash. And this is what I really like about you. So I find myself like if I'm um, doing 10 things at once, I always find myself doing that. If I think I've been short with someone, I always even if someone's been ridiculously rude to me, find something that I can compliment them on, because that gives me the power that when I'm finished with that interaction, whether it's on the phone, 
mm-hmm. or uh, in person or video that I, I have the ability and the gift of that next moment. And right. I'm not stuck in that past moment, but I can move forward. I and agree. Now- I agree. Mm-hmm. And I think I think kindness is underestimated. You know, um, when I go out to places, to stores or whatever, things, errands, things like that, I, I sincerely make, even when I'm on phone calls, I sincerely make all effort to be kind and to be like engaged in that conversation and that exchange. And it takes not very much effort, right? That's just normal human behavior, or it should be, I guess. <laughs> but that that moment, like those little micro moments with strangers can be so fulfilling both for both people, or they can be so draining. You know what I mean? So why not do it the way that's going to be best? Totally, totally. I mean, I, I literally just going through the Starbucks drive through the other day, yeah. the guy was so nice. I mean, we literally, we both were beaming from ear to ear, yeah, exactly. like 60 seconds later, right. because of the thank you. And then, you know, I don't think they'd heard thank you in a while. And so, you know, he looked kind of shocked and you say thank you a couple more times. One time in French, another time in English. Then we're just <laughs> laughing. And, uh, and it's, just, it's joyful. Right, exactly. Well, Joe, this has been so incredible talking with you and hearing about the work that you're doing. It's I'm sure it's making such a huge difference. And I'm very honored to be able to put this show up on Memorial Day as we're all remembering the veterans in our lives and the veterans before us. So um, I want to remind people where they can find you if they'd like to get t- together with you and your work. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me today. This has been a super experience. I love um, everything that we talked about today mm-hmm. seemed to really be a contribution. So I think it's going to be a great Memorial Day segment for sure. Um, and people can uh, learn more at that jointheunbound.com. So jointheunbound.com or you can go to Joe Standing. So just J-O standing like you're standing up, joestanding.com. Okay, great. I'll make sure to link those in the show. And I just really look forward to talking with you again. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much, Jane. All right. I'm sure you sense that Joe has an incredible, relentless passion for helping our troops as they return to move through the trauma and get back to their lives that they had before they left. And for me, this was such an education to understand more about PTSD, to understand how I can help, and to understand what they need. And I know for me, I have not been the one that says, tell me your story, because I'm afraid it'll be too hard. I'm afraid I won't be able to handle it. But as I sit here in my office right now, on a sunny day, in a safe town, looking out the window, hearing the birds sing, I realize that's something I need to do. I need to be willing to hear the stories, willing to give back to these people who who are risking their lives for me. I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart and happy Memorial Day. Thank you for listening. So, are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.